everyone and welcome to this episode of Camino Talks. Today we're joined by the wonderful Shannon Wallace who has just launched a wonderful new book called We The Change, launching big ideas and creating new realities. Shannon is a leadership consultant and she has been working with a number of incredible brands from Amazon to Coca-Cola and Microsoft as well as many not-for-profits. Shannon is also the mother of two teenage daughters and has walked the Camino. So Thank you so much for joining us and let's hear all about this new book. Thanks, Shannon. Oh, thank you, Caitlin. I really appreciate your inviting me. I've actually really enjoyed Camino Talks myself, so it's pretty flattering to be a part of it now. So um, a little bit about my book. So it is called uh, We the Change, Launching Big Ideas and Creating New Realities. It, I, I wrote it initially for my daughters. So it started... Uh, about three years ago, I was in a workshop in, at, uh, in, in doing what's called a rapid coaching exercise. And somebody asked me, what do you want to do next? And I just blurted out, uh, write a book. And the person said, who's it for? And I said, it's for my daughters. And he said, why are you writing this book for your daughters? And I said, because I want them to know what I have learned about creating transformation, both personally and professionally. And I realized then later, I was kind of surprised, honestly, that I was like blurted that out because I've thought about writing a book, but I also have contributed to six other books and I know how time consuming it is. Um, but then it kind of took on a life of its own. And so, you know, just as the Camino calls us, this book called me and I feel more that I am the, the guide of the book. I'm a guide of the message. I'm a messenger for the lessons that were that I personally learned along the Camino to share with people as, as a metaphor for how we embark on change. So that's how it kind of came to be. And then it's been a journey in and of itself to get there. That's amazing. And what I found really interesting and the reason that we were so excited about getting you on to Camino Talks is that this book is sort of a, a combination of a guide to launching these big ideas, um, whether it be in your life, in your business, or in any other way. And also it's a bit of a Camino experience. It's all things that you've linked to the physical journey of being on the Camino. So why did you, a non-hiker, decide to walk 500 miles across Spain on the Camino de Santiago? So that's such a great question because I live with, my husband is an Ironman triathlete and I am not. I was the kid who always got picked last for any game at school, for any team. My hand-eye coordination is not exceptional. And yet I, did, I embarked on a journey that no one, including myself, would have ever thought I could accomplish. And so it started the Camino. So the book is, is written in two parts. The first part is about inspiration and personal reflection about the journey that I took. The first Camino journey I took because I've gone twice uh, back in 2002. So it's about what was going on in my life at that time and why did I take it? And then the second part is a series of more than 40 coaching exercises to enable people to actually turn their own inspiration into what I call implementation. So it, it is this metaphor. So it, I, I equate it to um, when 
we uh, think about starting something new. If you were the CEO of a company and you would say, I want to start something new, and you're standing in the Pyrenees in Ronces Valles, where I started, and you said, let's go to Santiago. And you'd hop in your Learjet and you would fly across to Santiago in probably 30 minutes. And you would get out and you'd look at the cathedral and say, this is beautiful. Then, meanwhile, all of your employees are back in Ronces Valles and they're still just putting on their boots. So how will they also get there? So that's the, that's the metaphor that I'm using. So for me, where my Camino journey actually started was in a different workshop back in 1998. And I was in what was called Leading with Spirit. It was a four-part, one-year journey into what does it mean kind of looking at leadership and spirituality. So I've been a student of change and leadership for many years. And I was participating in a workshop and we were doing what is kind of called a, a vision quest. And I was out in the forest and I was walking. And literally, I had this moment in front of a massive evergreen where I felt like it was waving to me. And then there was light that cracked through the branches. And I heard that I needed to go to Northern Spain to do something spiritual. And I had no idea what it was. I had never heard of the Camino. My husband is half Spanish, but was largely raised in a Navy family around the world. We had been to Spain, but we had never really traveled to Northern Spain, so I had never heard of the Camino. And so here I am in June of 1998 in Northern California, uh, in the middle of a forest, and I'm called to go to Northern Spain to do something spiritual and I, I didn't know what it was. So that's where my Camino journey began. And then there were many, many different things that happened between June of 98 and June of 2002 when I actually walked the Camino. And so, you know, and that's where the book, you know, kind of it takes you through that story of what was going on in my life at the time and what that metaphor was. Um, to me and how I kind of unpacked it and took away the lessons of the Camino and then turned it into, if you've never done something before, like I had never walked the Camino and I wasn't an athlete, then how do you discover, how do you, how to actually go out and do it? So that, that's where it began. And then um, moving forward, many things happened. My husband and I ended up moving in um, uh, November of 1999 to Spain. We moved to Madrid for my job with Coca-Cola. Uh, no, first actually we moved to Vienna, Austria with my job for Coca-Cola. And then that was in November of 99. And then within three weeks of my having arrived, uh, things started to change in the company. The CEO of the company, Doug Ivester, was let go. A new CEO came on board. Three more weeks go by and I was out of a job. So I'm sitting in Vienna, Austria, my husband has left his job with Accenture. I have just lost my job because of works councils in Europe. They couldn't just get rid of me immediately. So I ended up working because I had this organizational change background, helping with a major change that Coca-Cola would undergo at that time. And, um, and then eventually we landed in Spain, but I still didn't know what the Camino was. And, but in the process of getting to Spain, my husband and I went and interviewed in England because that was where I could speak the language. I had no other language skills at that time. 
And so that's when I heard about the Camino. A friend of mine had set up an interview for a company in London. And she said, oh, the um, the person who's going to interview you just got back from sabbatical. You should ask her about it. You'd probably find it interesting. So I asked her, uh, oh, what did you do on sabbatical? And she said, I walked El Camino de Santiago. And I had this experience that was very similar to when I was in the forest, you know, eight months before, which was, I need to go do that. And I didn't know what it was. So then I asked her, was, was it, what was that? And she said, oh, it's El Camino de Santiago. I said, what is it? She goes, oh, it's this 500 mile footpath that goes across northern Spain. You hike it. And I thought, I'm going to do that. And then it immediately came back to me. Yeah. You're going to go do that. And something that um, you talk about in the book that I think links to that is the importance of finding supporters and stakeholders and people who will help you to get to the beginning of your journey and then through the journey. Um, But interestingly, you noted uh, in the book that you didn't necessarily identify who those people were until well after they'd already started helping you. So just talk us through, um, and this is obviously a big big concept in change and and inspirational leadership and launching ideas is finding those followers and those supporters and the stakeholders and people who are going to be there for you. So, uh, so let me tell you, I think this is critical. So I'm going to, I'm going to share three pieces that have to be in place um, that I didn't fully understand uh, at this time in my life when I walked the Camino, but in order for change to actually occur, three things need to be present. You have to have some level of dissatisfaction with your current state. So it, it won't be sufficient for you to just kind of be okay with what the, how things are going. You actually have to feel this is no longer good enough, whatever that the current state is. The second thing that you need is you need a vision of where you're going. So what am I going to go do next? What do I want to create? And then you have a gap. So you have this gap between where you're at and where you want to be. And then you need first steps to close the gap. So how will I close the gap? What are the first steps that I will take? These three things will enable you to actually overcome resistance to change. And so this model is based on the work of Gleiker and Beckard out of MIT in Boston, the Boston area. And um, it is called DVFR. So this is what it looks like. Dissatisfaction times vision times first steps overcomes is greater than R, resistance to change. It's a multiplication equation. So we know from our, you know, old days in math, if one of those elements is zero, then your product is zero, which means you will not overcome resistance to change and you will not move forward. So think about any change that you've personally been successful at. All three of those elements were in place. And then think of anything that you've, you know, you keep trying to do, but it never actually happens. One of those is missing. So for me, vision has always usually been something that's been kind of easy for me. Um, and at this point in time, you know, the, the Camino called me. So I had a vision that I, when I finally figured out what it was, I had a vision. I'm going to go walk El Camino de Santiago. But I didn't go right away because I didn't have enough dissatisfaction in my life. And 
I also at that time was not conscious of first steps that would be required. So I was missing two of the elements. So then you ask your question about what are the supporters? Well, uh, supporters for me are first steps, identifying who is going to support you in moving forward. And so there are a lot of different stakeholders. So in the work I do as a change consultant, and I've been doing change consulting um, since basically since I graduated from, from graduate school, and this is my career, is in change and leadership. Your stakeholders are the people who have something at stake for the accomplishment of this goal. So if it's something individually, in this case, it was my husband. So, um, you know, would he want me to take off for a couple of weeks or even 30 days? Uh, and what was really unusual, so part of my dissatisfaction that was, I'll, I'll kind of build into this as we go through, was at that point in time, after we moved to Madrid, he was unhappy in his job. He took, um, he's a Marine reservist, or was at that time, he took a Marine, Marine reserve assignment. And during the time that he was gone, 9-11 happened. So then he was mobilized and he was on active duty. So before I left for the Camino, we had been separated for a year. And then he came back. And when he came back, he had a month of leave that he could be with me. And that was when I left to go on the, to walk the Camino, because at that point in time, he knew more than I knew that I was in a very broken place in my life and that I needed to do something to change. And so he, his support, if he had said, if he had never said go or if he hadn't supported me, it would not have happened. And then the other stakeholder was my friend Susan, who um, when we first moved to Spain, Susan had studied in Santiago as a part of an exchange program in college. And we were traveling around. Our first year we lived in Spain, we had 60 visitors. <laughs> so in the beginning, we would drive them around the country, you know, and Susan was one of the first. By the, the you know, number 59 and 60, I just handed them keys in a Metro pass and said, go have fun. Uh, but Susan was in the early stages and I told her I had this idea of going, you know, walking the Camino. And she said, oh, I always wanted to do that. If you ever, if you ever go, let me know. I'd like to join you. And so I reached out to Susan, who had just literally started a new job three months before I decided to go and said, hey, um, I'm going to go to the, on the I'm going to go walk the Camino. And I know you've started a new job, but just in case, wanted to let you know. And she responded the next day saying, I, it's funny you should ask because um, I just lost this job. <laughs> it was just kind of a weird thing that happened, but she was available. So she said yes. So my husband's saying go. And she said yes. And now I'm invested. Right. So she, you know, I can't, it's kind of hard to back down when other people are supporting you and moving forward. So that's why I say supporters are really important. You need to find those people who are going to champion your idea. It's something that can be quite challenging for some people is that occasionally it can be a little bit harder. You, you were really fortunate. You had two people who went, yes, let's do this. Um, but some people will have important people in their lives, whether it's a, a boss or um, someone that you need to convince to let you take time off work for a month or yeah. two weeks. Um, so in those situations, and this is something you also touch, in, touch on in the book, um, is having the, the productive dialogue to kind of go, I have a change I want to make. I have something I want to achieve and I need to have a potentially quite challenging conversation. So. If you do find yourself in one of those situations, you have an idea, whether it is I want to walk the Camino 
or I want to do some training at work or, or anything that is going to create that change, how would you go about having those productive dialogues, those challenging conversations with people? So I love that because I think, honestly, I spend a whole chapter in my book talking about how to have those conversations because the reality is anytime you want to make change happen, um, you are going to run into obstacles. And some of those obstacles are going to be embodied in human beings and, and human beings that you want, you know, you want their support. And so, you know, let's just take the Camino, for example. So, you know, what I keep in mind, so I loved how I want to go back to something you said, Caitlin, you know, going on those training walks. I did virtually nothing. Remember, I knew nothing about hiking or walking, but I did research before I went on the Camino and I found out, you know, I had to have this kind of pack and, you know, kind of shoes. And I did all of that. And I thought I had all of the right gear. And but because I'd never really done anything quite like this, that the surprising part for me was about two days into the Camino, um, I started to feel really sore. Now, okay, people are going to say, well, she never hiked before. And of course she's going to be sore, but it wasn't, it wasn't what I've learned to be now just kind of typical soreness from walking and hiking. It had to do with the fact that my friend Susan is eight inches taller than I am. And it's all in her legs. And we were going at very different paces. So what we realized within two days was that we were not going to be able to walk together. And that was pretty crushing for me because I didn't realize that I had made an incredible assumption, which was getting, you know, walking the Camino meant walking with Susan, meant walking together, meant, you know, arriving together, right? It was all of those things. And I wasn't conscious of that. And then when it became um, an issue, I realized, how can we actually do this differently? So I think the key in a productive dialogue, so often, you know, difficult conversations come in very different packages from mildly uncomfortable to really feeling um, uh, wronged by somebody, right? And so a productive dialogue is uh, transitioning, transforming that difficult conversation into something that's productive, bringing people on board. And the way we do that is by starting with the aspiration for the outcome with respect to the, the result we're trying to get, the relationship and how we want it to be, or a value that's really important to us. So it's very similar to the DVFR model in that we have to have a vision for what we're trying to achieve. So in that conversation with Susan, for example, um, kind of realizing that our problem was we actually couldn't walk together. We had to get clear again on what we both wanted to create together, which ultimately was to have an experience of walking together and arriving in Santiago together, that we wanted a shared experience. We just knew that the approach had to be different. So by starting with that value around what we're trying, what was important to us was to the connection, um, we could then say, how would we do this differently? And so then what we were able to then surface some of our assumptions about what would that look like? And eventually we came down to all, the ultimate was we're going to, we'll, we'll be together every night to share our experiences uh, and we will arrive in Santiago together. So we'll be in the same refugio every night. We'll agree on that. And then we will also arrive in Santiago together. And then as a result of having that clarity, 
clarity makes taking action easier. So then we didn't, you know, because people know when you walk on the Camino, it would be really easy to get off course if you weren't clear with people on where you're trying to go next. So that's on the Camino path. Now let's think about it if you, you know, you're trying, let's say you're just trying to get time off work to go walk the Camino. Now it becomes a question of uh, what is something that both you and your manager could want for you to make this happen? Well, you know, right now we know so many people are burnt out from the pandemic. And, you know, you know, let me tell you, getting high quality employees is is a real challenge. We keep talking about this war for talent. So the way I might approach it with my manager is it's really, you know, I love what I'm doing. I hope you love what you're doing, but who knows, right? Um, Or it's important to me to make a contribution and to make the best contribution that I can to be at my best. And I want to be at at my best for this organization. And I can sense that I'm not. I need to recharge. And so I'd love to have a conversation about you about some ways that I could be more at my best. And then I would talk, you know, ask when, invite your your manager into the conversation, ask when you could have the conversation. And then once you have a conversation, ask them, you know, how do they think things are going? What do you see? You know, do you see me at my best? I don't. Um, I think I've come up with some ways to recharge. One of the ways is to walk the Camino. I think if I even did it for a week, I would come back refreshed. So that's one way, you know, it's, so I really go through this, this in chapter seven, I tell kind of the story, but then I also give a whole, all of the workbook is about how do you create that productive dialogue? How do you bring people on, on board with your idea so that they're excited about it? And, you know, there's an element too, of really surfacing from your opposers, where their opposition is coming from, because maybe it's just a bunch of assumptions they've made. Um, that aren't true. And, and that's what's really interesting. People have all sorts of things they tell themselves in their head that aren't always true. And so it teaches you kind of how to go go through and have those conversations. So when you're sort of planning the Camino and you're thinking about, I want to walk it with this person, there's a lot of change that happens even from the beginning of the Camino to the end. You go through a lot of different um, states. You go through excitement at the beginning. You go through pain, you go through blisters, and there's a lot of perseverance that comes out. And I think that's something that you you touch on quite a lot in the book is this concept of coming up against the resistance, coming up against the challenges, and then needing to reset, refine your, your dissatisfaction, reset your vision. Now, when it comes to the Camino, um, what's that like in terms of day-to-day? I know you talked a bit about um, having some struggles when you're on the Camino, finding yourself in sort of challenging positions, whether it be just having that conversation that was probably quite challenging to go, hey, I don't think we should walk together anymore. Um, talk us through that, because that that's a that's a it's a big experience for people walking the Camino and going through that. You know, I, I'll start with I, I really think the biggest barrier that we have is ourselves. And it's our inner critic who is inside telling us all the reasons that we are not worthy, we will fail. Um, and I will. I just want to say to anybody who is watching, your inner critic is lying to you. 
You are completely capable. You're completely competent. If somebody like me, who is the last person chosen for every team, can walk 500 miles across northern Spain with 20 pounds on my back uh, and figure it out, you can absolutely do this. I, I just 100% believe because everyone's Camino is different. There is a way for you and you will find that way. And I will tell you, so it's interesting, to, to, you know, in the book, so the book's only, it's like a little over 200 pages, but it's the first 80 pages are the story. And then it's a whole bunch of, um, uh, you know, exercises after that. The reason I share this with you is that the story is meant to be read in about, you know, two, three hours to give you some inspiration for whatever, you know, whatever you're trying to achieve, be it walk the Camino or launch some new big idea in your life. Okay. The reason I bring that up is that there's 11 chapters in both the story and the workbook. So they complement each other. Six of the 11 chapters are solely about me getting out of my own way, getting out of my own head, essentially, you know, from creating the vision to understanding my dissatisfaction to starting my first steps, but then also kind of never getting onto the Camino until chapter seven, where I'm finally walking the Camino. It's like everything that's leading up to that. And so the reason I say that is so much is in your head is about preparing yourself to go. And, and the reality is we make up stories for why we can't do it, but we also make up stories about what it will be. And the best thing to do is just go out and do some of it and find out what it's like. Um, and, and that can really change things. So from my standpoint, why did I have all that stuff going on? Well, a, a big part of what I'm talking about in the book, Caitlin, is I, I tell people about my own background. So I think this would, might be a good way to kind of segue into some of that, where the dissatisfaction came from and what was most important to me in my, my learning from the Camino. So, um, so what you need to know is I, I misspoke earlier. Leading with Spirit, the program that I was in, started in June of 98. And then I was in a program in June of 99 when I had the call to go to Spain, okay? So June of 99, but I don't walk until June of 2002. And during this time, in those three years, what basically happened was a rapid succession of what I call anything that could go wrong will go wrong. And so, you know, I, my husband and I, he is completely supportive when I come home and I tell him we need to move to Spain because I need to do something spiritual in Northern Spain. And he just kind of looked at me and you'd think, Great example, again, of support. Instead of going, what? <laughs> he said, okay. I mean, he was on board. And then he's like, what are we supposed to do there? I said, I don't know, but I think we need to move to Spain. Now, we ended up not moving to Spain initially. We ended up moving to Vienna, Austria for my job, which was then dissolved through a reorganization three weeks into the new job. And then I find out that actually I lose my job three weeks after that. My furniture arrives on a Friday and Monday, I find out that I've lost my job because the president of Central Europe and Eurasia, who my job was tied to, I was his chief of staff, was eliminated. He wasn't in political favor with the new CEO. So, you know, I go through all of the reorganization and in Vienna, Austria at that time, they let go 90% of the employee population. So that was pretty overwhelming. And I worked on that. But imagine the grief that people are experiencing in that layoff period. 
So we eventually get through that. We move to Madrid. And then, you know, I said, my husband started a job. He starts his job. He's miserable. Within three months, he, he was, he's the most you know, like never complaining kind of person. He's a Marine, right? He never complains about anything. And so he um, was really unhappy and he was complaining. And so we decided that he would leave. He took a new job where he was paid 100% commission. And when he was paid 100% commission initially, I mean, we knew that it would take six months for any revenue to come in. And so we didn't have any paychecks coming in. And then we found out I was pregnant. And that's when he decided oh, this might be a good time to take this three-month Marine Reserve assignment that I need to do so that we have some income coming in and then I can kind of work online to maintain some of those relationships that I've started to build. And then we'll have a better sense of, can we make it in Europe? So he moves out to North Carolina. And as I mentioned, this was June of 99. On the day he traveled, so he's in air. We believe I've passed my first trimester. I'm in for a standard appointment and I find out I've miscarried and I had no way of communicating with him. Uh, and so it was pretty, I mean, it was really devastating. So I'm not, you know, I'm, I, you know, I have a couple of friends in Madrid, but, you know, I'm basically going through this alone. And then he spends the summer over there and 9-11 happens. So before he gets mobilized for 9-11, and he went to Stuttgart, Germany. So we were on the same continent. And Stuttgart is where they have the satellite systems. And so I don't think I'm giving away any trade secrets there, by the way. Probably everybody in, in the military knows where the satellite systems are housed. And so he's a communications officer. He goes to Stuttgart, but we had one week before he had to be there. And in that week, I kept pregnant again, and I'm really delighted, right? So he goes off to Stuttgart. I'm still living in Madrid. Uh, Everything was going fine. My doctor, I went to go, I was going to fly over to Houston to help my sister with her new baby for a couple of weeks. And my doctor said, hey, everything's going great. And I, just because you're going to be gone for a couple of weeks, I just think it's good for you to get checked while you're in the States, just given your past history. And when I was there, I discovered that I had miscarried again. Same complete situation. These are called missed miscarriages. So people might be wondering, how did she not know? Uh, missed miscarriage is very rare, about 1% of all miscarriages. And it's where essentially you have miscarried, but your body continues to act as if it is carrying the, the baby. And so I had no idea that this was happening and both had happened weeks before. And so um, uh, you know, I made it through that. I returned to Madrid. I was able to go see my husband in Stuttgart on New Year's just for a couple of days. So I go there and I remember him, you know, raising the champagne glass, right? And, you know, it's uh, now, you know, uh, New Year's 2001, moving into 2002. And he raises the champagne glass and he goes, Shannon, it's been a rough 18 months, but it can't get much. It, it just can't get worse. And he clicks my glass. And my stomach just turned over. And I thought, oh no, something really bad is coming. And that way, I didn't have any moment of hope. It was just something bad is coming. And a couple of days later, when I was back in Madrid, I learned that my mom had been diagnosed with cancer. And at that time, they thought it was stage one. And so I flew, she lived in the Seattle area. I flew back to Seattle to help with what would be the surgery, but they didn't expect any chemo. And then they got in there and they found out it wasn't stage one, it was stage four. She had a 5% chance of survival to five years. 
My mom is my rock. I grew up in a really dysfunctional home. Um, I'll tell you, under the poverty line in the United States, but I still think I grew up quite privileged because I was born in the U.S. I've seen real poverty in other places. But at that time, I didn't really know that yet. And so um, I, you know, I grew up in a home that had a lot, it had um, alcoholism, it had mental health issues, um, uh, living under the poverty line. And it was just really hard, you know, so I had this really hard childhood. And then um, my mom gets diagnosed with cancer. And, you know, and really, you know, very grim circumstances. And so I ended up staying for about five months with her to um, help with all of the chemo, radiation, recovery that she would have to go through and then return to the U.S. in the month that my husband could get leave. So that was June of 2002. And that's when I had started reading all these books on the Camino and he sees them piled up on my bed by my side of the bed. And he goes, are you going to walk the Camino? And I just completely froze because I thought, am I going to walk the Camino? I mean, I wasn't even conscious. I was thinking of it. I was reading all these books, but not conscious of it. And I just froze and stared at him because I'm thinking, of course I'm not, because he's, he's only here for a month. How could I do this thing now? And we haven't seen each other in a year. And he just looked at me and he said, I think you should go. And for me, what was really important at that time was I thought something's really wrong because at a time when we should be together, he's telling me I should go. What does he see that I am not seeing? But I knew then that something was really broken in me and he knew it and there was no hiding it. So I didn't know at that time what the Camino would do for me. But I knew it would be something was better than nothing. So that's what really propelled me to then get off my butt and go walk it. And, you know, two weeks later, I was standing in Roncés Valles. So from there, um, then, you know, as I walked it, uh, that's where I tell people, you know, it took me six chapters to get to that point in the 11 chapters of the story. But then when I walked it was when I started to uncover my level of dissatisfaction. So I'll share what I think is the most important lesson that it was for me. Um, because it goes back to our supporters. And because of my family situation, so I was able to transform my life. And it was through education. So I was able to go to, um, I was very blessed. I was able to go to a wonderful university. Uh, I worked three jobs, <laughs> but I was also given scholarships to make it happen. And I was able to transform my life. So I was no longer living in poverty. And uh, that was huge for me. And yet I really believed that I was doing this completely alone that everything in my life, like I didn't have the support networks that many people had to rely on. And so I felt like God had given me gifts of intelligence and optimism and um, a kind of stick to uh, that persistence where I could achieve, God had given me those gifts when other people needed help from others, I didn't because I had been given these resources. So that was my belief. 
I carry that belief as a part of my identity of I can overcome anything and because I've been given these gifts. But then I'm walking the Camino and I enter, I don't know if, how many people have heard this term, but this is the term that had been given to me on this one day between Burgos and Lyon called the Day of Devils. And it's a space where you're walking over 20 kilometers, but you have no access to well water. And it's you're walking through wheat fields. So literally, you kind of look behind you and you see nothing but wheat fields. And you look in front of you and you see nothing but wheat fields. And I grew up in South Dakota, home of the wheat fields in the United States. So, you know, for me, I was kind of sitting in my like pondering on this one day of devils and why I chose to do it this day, I don't know. I mean, it sounds pretty ominous when you hear day of devils, but I'm pondering the three things that we hear. One, you know, the Camino calls you. Yes, I believe that to be true. Two, um, the Camino is a metaphor for life. Anything you experience on the Camino, you will experience in life. And then three, everyone's Camino is different. So I'm pondering this as I'm walking by myself in the heat of the day, you know, now it's like July and you know what it's like on the Camino in July, you know, oppressive. And I'm seeing nobody and I'm pondering the space of being alone. And if the Camino is a metaphor for life, why is my Camino all about being alone? Why have I always been alone, taking care of myself? And I'm literally have wrapped myself, created such a frenzy in myself, Caitlin, that I have my walking stick and like a toddler having a temper tantrum, I am shaking my walking stick at God in the heavens and then pounding it on the ground and screaming. Like it's probably maybe one o'clock in the afternoon and I am screaming and crying and I'm just a complete mess. And, you know, and I been completely alone this whole time. And I know because I'd looked behind me, I'd looked before me, kind of gave myself permission to just let go. And then I hear behind me, Buen Camino. And I thought, what? I am hallucinating because I knew nobody had been there. And I froze and I'm just frozen in the spot. And then I hear a little closer, Buen Camino. And I thought, no, not at my lowest moment. Somebody is going to come across me. I'm feeling so embarrassed. I know I'm like been crying. Whoever's seen me is seeing me screaming, right? And then upon me walks this woman. She's probably, I was in my 30s at the time. She's about in her 60s, I would guess. And I had seen her along the path, but she'd always stayed distant from people. And she comes up to me shoulder to shoulder and she says, Buen Camino. And I said, I'm thinking in my head, Buen Camino, all right. And I just thought, I just kind of nodded and, and I, you know, waved for her to pass me because everybody passed me because nobody could walk at my pace. And so I wave her to pass me and she doesn't leave. And she says again, Buen Camino, because I still haven't responded to her. I'm just like, you know, and I just said, I'm ready to die. And she says, it's not your day to die. And I said, what? And she said, and she points, and you know how you see the, the rock markers along the Camino where somebody has died? 
And she points to a rock marker. I mean, we've literally just arrived at it. And she points to the side and she says, it was his day to die, but it's not your day to die for I am here to walk with you. And I burst into tears because I thought in that moment when I had been screaming at God that I had been left completely abandoned and alone, it was like God's little act of whimsy. Oh, no, you haven't been because I've been here to walk with you. And I've just sent my messenger to let you know you've never been alone. And it completely changed how I thought about my life because there was no hiding it anymore. There was no, I was like, this illusion that I had was completely um, eviscerated in that moment. And so then I asked her, you know, after we'd been walking a little bit, because she wasn't going to leave me. And I said, why are you walking with me? Nobody ever walks with me. And she said, because it was your day. And I said, what do you mean by that? And she said, every morning I get up and I look for the person who needs me. And today was your day. And again, I just started crying because I thought, I cannot believe this. Because if I had had any doubt, any shred of doubt in that moment, it was now completely gone. Like, it was my day. And so for me then, I realized, and as I looked back on my life, all of those moments where I thought I had been alone, you know, a teacher had said, you can do this. You can apply to one of the hardest universities in the country. You are capable. Um, my mom, even though she couldn't financially support me while I was in college, sending me a care package every month of, you know, some cookies or something that said, you can do this. I'm here with you, right? Of the people who gave me chances when I moved into the world of work, I had never been alone. And then my husband saying, I want you to go. I mean, these are our supporters that we, in our illusion, may completely disregard. But none of us go it alone. All of us have supporters. And that's why, um, you know, that's why the book is We the Change. Because it's about how we do this collectively. So Gandhi had said, if you want to see change in the world, be the change. And yet what Gandhi missed is that it's not just about ourselves. It is about we collectively with our supporters make the change happen. And so we the change to me is it is what I learned from the Camino that we all have supporters. We may not believe it, but we need to be open to it because as the Camino calls us, the Camino will also open the doors for how we can make it happen if we choose to be open to it. So I tell people, look for your supporters because they want it to happen for you. So to me, people will get different lessons from their own Caminos. For me, this is the most important. So of the 11 lessons, my life is different because I finally got that. And it's really made things in a way easier for me because I always look for my supporters now. Anything I want to do. You know, when I wanted to write the book, my whole family was engaged. I told a couple of friends who are kept asking me then, how's it going? <laughs> you know, because writing a book when you're also running your own business is not the easiest thing to do. So it took me longer than it might take most people. But, you know, again, all we do along the Camino is take it one step at a time. Then eventually we get to our destination. You know, we end up at the cathedral. And um, 
So that's how I approach everything now in life, just one step at a time, series of baby steps. And sometimes people, when I'm when I'm delivering workshops on you know change, they they literally ask, so you know how do you make this happen? And I always said, say baby steps, baby steps make journeys of 500 miles. You can do it. And so that's really what I wish for people to take away is that um, you can have your own Camino, whatever it might be, whether it's actually literally walking El Camino de Santiago, or if it's another Camino in your life, a journey that you're taking where you might be feeling a little lost, you know, look to your supporters. They're going to support you. They'll help you. Fantastic. And that's absolutely the message that I got from, from the book. Um, it is incredibly inspiring. It's wonderful to read your stories. It's amazing what you have overcome. And I think that the process that you went through is something that everyone can learn from, because even though it won't be the same, there are always parallels. Um, and so I really do believe that the book will help people to start thinking about those journeys, to start contextualizing the change that they want to make and, and taking those first baby steps. So thank you so, so much for joining me. Um, thank you for all of your amazing insights and your wonderful stories. I would absolutely recommend this book to, to anyone who is trying to make some change in their lives or even who's just thinking about creating new realities and what that means. Um, overcoming doubt, building momentum, all of those things are things that we deal with, whether we're planning a Camino or a new business venture or just trying to make our lives a bit more exciting. So thank you so much for sharing those experiences and those insights. Um, for people who are interested in buying the book, it's available on Amazon. You can get it for Kindle or in paperback. Um, we'll put a link in the comments so that you can find that um, and some information on Shannon as well. Thank you so much for joining us. And we hope that you will um, subscribe to the channel for more videos and more information about the Camino and more inspirational stories. Give this video a like and we hope to see you next time on Camino Talks. Thank you so much for joining us, Shannon. Thank you, Caitlin. Really appreciate being here with you.